Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And this one's going to be a topic we haven't addressed before, which is CT of the ureter. And I call this an overlooked source of pathology. We often think about the ureter in terms of obstruction, and most of the time we're talking about stone disease. We sometimes talk about the ureter in terms of level of obstruction, whether the ureter is displaced medial or laterally. We talk about the common zones where there are stone obstruction in the just past the renal pelvis or just above the pelvic brim or a bit lower near the UV junction. But we don't really think about the ureter as, maybe as much as we probably should. As I mentioned, we talk about the ureter mainly in terms of stone disease. Where are stones located? How large are the stones? Has the stone moved through the last since the last time? A good article by Eisner this past uh, 18 months or so, what does the referring clinician want to know from us? The presence or absence of stones, location, number, diameter, and additional findings. Now, CT is very, very accurate for stone disease because 99% of stones can be detected, uh, and they range from calcium-based stones to radiolucent stones like uric acid, xanthine, and cysteine. We also know that with dual energy, we can separate uric acid stones from uh, calcium-based calculi. The rare stones we miss are typically pure matrix stones or stones composed of the protease inhibitor Indivar, and that's in HIV patients. So it's very, very unusual for us to ever miss a stone. And here's just a very simple example, axial, coronal, showing you a stone in the ureter. We speak about stones in terms of size. Under six millimeters, they probably will pass. Under, over six millimeters, probably will not pass on their own. But what else do we think about, or should we think about, in the ureter? Well, I can give you a lecture on retroperitoneal fibrosis, showing you how the ureters are displaced medially and tacked down, the thickening of the aorta, and the ureters tend to be classic. But what about ureteral tumors? Well, the fact is ureteral tumors are not that uncommon. The classic one that we'll speak most about will be transitional cell carcinoma, but we should know that lymphoma can involve the ureter, either as a primary mass or by direct extension. And you can see metastasis, the most common being breast cancer, but also GI malignancies, prostate, cervical, and renal cell carcinoma are indeed possibilities. What are some of the key parameters? Well, in transitional cell in general, both kidney and ureter, Typically, the age is over 60. The frequency increases with age, kind of like the same age as renal cell carcinoma. Men are typically at greater risk than women. And there are other risk factors, smoking, analgesic abuse, certain rare chemical carcinogens. And there's a thing called Balkan nephropathy, which increases the risk of TCC by 200 times. But that's indeed very rare. Now, when you think about the ureter, one thing to think about, if I'm evaluating the ureter, what's the best protocol? Well, there are a number of different articles published in a range of combinations, from contrast bolus technique variations, from single bolus, a split bolus, to triple phase. How long do you wait? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Do you use compression? Do you give saline? Do you give furosemide via IV? Is it supine and prone? Do you want to have lateral decubitus? Do you walk the patient around a bit in between the studies? What exactly should you do? And there really was a lot of different ways people would do things with many different phases, but that's just undoable in this era of radiation safety. Well, what do we do at Hopkins? We give the patient a lot of water to drink. 1,000 cc's over 15, 20 minutes. That gives them a really big push 
uh, two excrete contrast. When you give the contrast, then we use Omni 350, injecting about five cc's a second. Now, we do get the early phase imaging, the arterial phase, but let's just focus on delayed phase imaging. Now, the question is, how long do you wait? Well, typically, I like to wait five minutes. Unless it's a UPJ obstruction, then I'll wait eight to 10 minutes. The question is, why don't I wait longer? Well, that's a very good question, and you can wait longer. But then you say, well, if a patient's obstructed, is five or 10 minutes gonna be the answer? No, we know from IVPs, often it takes a long time for a contrast to be excreted. It could be in the hours, and we're not waiting hours, and we don't wanna scan the patient multiple times. But I'll show you in, the, in a moment, you don't need to have contrast in the bladder to evaluate obstruction. You don't need to have contrast in the urine to evaluate obstruction. What you need to have really is looking for transitions, and I'll show you why that's the case. The other reason I don't like to wait eight or 10 minutes is the contrast gets so dense, you get a lot of beam hardening artifact, and that can actually obscure a lesion. Now, in terms of data, it's again critical, everything we've said with other lectures, you need to look at the axials, but coronals or sagittals are indeed critical, and as I'll show you, 3D mapping is indeed critical. What are the signs we're looking for? Ureteral thickening, ureteral enhancement, we're looking for calcifications. Now, when you see calcifications, you think more about things like TB or schistosomiasis. When we talk about enhancement a moment ago, it can be with tumorous or it can be inflammatory disease. We look for periureteral stranding. We look for filling defects or discrete obvious masses. We look for obstruction, be it hydronephrosis or hydroureter. But what we're really looking for is not just obstruction, but looking for transition points that really will help us. Now, when we looked at the literature trying to think about what I can quote, there just wasn't very much published, and so we put some effort in to write our own article, and this is an article by Shiva Rahman, and it's in Press and AJR. And I'll show you several quotes from that article that I think are very, very important to remember. While ureteral TCCs can occur in any portion of the ureter, the most common location is thought to be the renal pelvis, and, but within the ureter itself, the distal ureter is the most common area. So you can see one of the most challenging is the distal ureter, and that's where almost three quarters of the tumors are seen compared to lesions in the mid or proximal ureter. So again, very important to look carefully at the entire ureter, but really focus on the distal ureter. Other things. The ureter can be particularly problematic to evaluate, particularly with the distal third being the tumors, and yet how do you opacify? Well, again, this is the challenge, and we talk about in this article proper technique, not only on the appropriate interpretation of the axial images, but on the 3D mapping. And uh, this article does claim, and I agree since I'm one of the co-authors, and in fact the senior author, that 3D technique is incredibly useful the diagnosis of subtle tumors that are barely perceptible on the source axial images, which would probably be missed unless you looked at these reconstruction images. And I'll show you a number of examples. So what are we looking at with 3D imaging? We'll look for accentuation of subtle strictures and sites of narrowing, these transition points. One way of thinking about the ureter is thinking about it like it's a small bowel loop. We look for dilatation, we look for stricturing, we look for abnormal enhancement, we look for caliber changes all the time. 3D mapping also accentuates subtle abnormal enhancement and thickening. You get better visualization of the distal ureter, and that often is with the MPR or curved coronal MPRs. 
And again, better visualization of flat lesions. And I'll show you a couple examples. Here's a patient with right hydronephrosis, and the renal pelvis is dilated. And you follow the ureter down, non-contrast, and there's something, maybe it's a node in the course of the right ureter. So you recognize this must be the site of a problem. Early phase imaging, you see the dilated renal pelvis, and you see distally the ureter tends to be somewhat oval in shape, but you see that abnormal enhancement? This is just above the next image where you see an enhancing lesion. And there's a lesion a bit over a centimeter sitting right in the ureter. Now that's very easy to overlook. Maybe you think it's a node. Of course, if you're watching the transition of a dilated pelvis and ureter downward, you'd have to be very careful and you would recognize the lesion, which is really nicely seen on CT with 3D. Look how you can see the abnormal enhancement. It's not markedly vascular, but it's vascular enough. And you can see when you get past it, that transition. So we're looking for transitions and soft tissue masses. And that, in fact, is a larger lesion. What about the point I made before about a dilated ureter being just like small bowel? Well, here was a very astute pickup, a patient with back pain, and someone noted that the patient's right ureter was dilated, so we got a CT scan. You can see the right kidney in this case is poorly functioning and it's small, and the ureter and pelvis are dilated. We follow the ureter downward, there's some enhancement, we follow it down more. And as you follow it down, you see that the lumen goes from fluid to soft tissue. It's very subtle, very easy to miss, but look how obvious it is on coronal or oblique 3D imaging. There you see the ureter, you see it's filled with urine, then you see the transition kind of coming down to what's typically referred to as a goblet sign. There's the soft tissue mass. That's a classic example of a transitional cell carcinoma. There it is again on the oblique views. Just simply follow the ureter, rotate around, get the best view, see where the transition is. And here's that same case, uh, or in 3D. Look how nicely you can see the dilated ureter, and you can follow it down to its transition point. And here's another case, same thing. Look at the dilated renal pelvis. There's the ureter, there's the transition point, and here it is in 3D from a black imaging. Thinning of the cortex, dilated pelvis, dilated ureter, voila transition point, and you can see it's not markedly vascular, but there is increased enhancement within the ureteral tumor. And that sign I'm showing you here and showing you in this case is what we refer to as the goblet sign. Very, very nice example of the goblet, and the circle shows you the mass, which is right beneath the goblet. And again, different views. Okay, very, very important. Now, there's an article by Zhu that made the point that when stratified by location, urethelial thickening was more predictive of tumor in the pelvic seal system than in the ureter, while in contrast, filling defects were more predictive in the ureter of tumor than in the pelvic seal system. Now, what the, this article does make the point that sometimes it is tricky. You see ureteral pathology, but is it malignant or is it inflammatory? So here's an example left renal pelvis is dilated, non-contrast CT. Contrast CT, the pelvis is dilated, there's delayed function. Now a very important sign in CT is delayed or asymmetric renal function. You want to know what's the cause. Is it renal vascular disease? Is it tumor infiltration? Or is it obstruction? In this case, we see the pelvis is dilated. Well, we'll follow the pelvis downward. And here it is on the excretory phase. Now look at the proximal ureter. You see the thickening? And let's look a little bit more carefully. Here's the 3D. You see the dilated left renal pelvis and collecting system? 
at first glance, you say, well, maybe it's just a UPJ. I guess it's a possibility, but it's not beaking like a typical UPJ. And let's look at a few more images. You see the proximal left ureter? It just doesn't look right. It looks like it's not as well filled. That's not the hallmark of what would be considered a UPJ obstruction. That is worrisome. And when you look a little bit closer and you track the ureter on soft tissue, see the ureter? It's not a UPJ. You would see that sharp cutoff and that would be that. But here you see this infiltration of the proximal left ureter. Here I'm circling it for you. Very classic ureteral tumor. Very easy to miss. Okay? Very nice example. Another case. What about this case? Here, unlike the prior study, whether it's early or late phase imaging, the two kidneys function symmetrically. So let's concentrate on the left kidney. It looks normal. But look at the ureter. I cone down the left ureter. Look at the irregularity of the ureter. It's not obstructed. It's not resulting in changes in perfusion in the kidney. But look at the irregularity. Here's two more views of that. Look how nicely you see an infiltrating, subtle, transitional cell carcinoma going over several centimeters. Here it is with additional views. Again, it's very subtle, but you can make the diagnosis. This patient will get a nephrectomy, partial bladder resection, ureteral resection. If you miss this, by the time you find it, the patient will have extensive spread of disease. Very subtle, but again, you need to look at things in 3D. The axials would have been impossible in this case. Now, I mentioned before you can have thickening of the ureters and pelvis due to inflammation. Uh, it can be tricky and it does overlap. In this case, it's bilateral that makes you think about infection, but look at all of the stranding. And yes, we can have stranding with TCC, but the stranding is so extensive in this case, you got to be thinking about infection. And that that's what this case indeed was. Infection can be bacterial, it can be TB, it can be very funny parasites, but you better be thinking about infection. Then you culture the urine and you're in business. Another example, we talk about subtleties, and I want to show you why you need to be very careful why reconstructions are critical. You're looking at the left ureter here, but let's look at this study, early and late phase imaging, and what we're going to do is we're going to follow the ureters downward. You see the vessels changing, but you don't see much in terms of the ureter. And here is the late phase imaging. I was doing bone removal. Look at the left ureter. Does that bother you at all? It looks like a crescent. But if you look very carefully at the next image, it looks like a donut sign. There's a donut there. And you can say, well, this is nothing. I see no obstruction above it. But it's amazing when you do the reconstructions, look at that tumor you would have missed in the left ureter. It's not causing obstruction. So I think a key thing, one point, if you take away only one message from this talk, and you better take away more than one message, but if you take away one, that is with ureteral tumors, you don't need to see obstruction. You don't need to see perfusion changes. When lesions are large enough, you have those findings. But look at this lesion. It's large enough to recognize and diagnose and resect but none of the secondary signs. And here's a 3D, very nicely showing you the lesion. And you say, well, this is a rare case. It doesn't happen to me. Another case, look at this. Look at the ureter distally on the left again. Looks like a ring. We see it here again on these bone removal images. And then I reconstructed along the course of the ureter. Look at that subtle, just over one centimeter mass. So obvious on the reconstructed views, so poorly seen on the axial views alone. And you can see on 3D how nicely you can see that ureter. See the filling defect, and here it is at the yellow. So very, very important diagnosis. 
and you can see why there's great pitfalls. Now, I gave you the talk, I think it was last week, on pitfalls in the kidneys. I didn't go through the ureters, but I could have combined the ureters in there, but I want to speak about the ureters separately. You can see how important this indeed is and what you can actually miss. So let's go back to this article by Ramon that'll be out probably in four or five months. Proper diagnosis hinges not only on appropriate interpretation of the source images, understanding what you need to be looking for, but also on the 3D images as an ancillary diagnostic tool. In our experience, proper utilization of 3D technique can be incredibly useful for picking up these smaller lesions. So when looking at the ureter, you need to be beyond the axial imaging. I think hopefully this talk also will give you the feel about looking at the ureter very carefully, the importance of recognizing that you don't need to see obstruction, you don't need to see perfusion changes to have a ureteral tumor. When they're small, that's not gonna be the case. You need to look for transitions, you need to look very carefully, and I think if you do that, you'll do a great job. And with that, back to work.